Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. It can be found on page 9 of the booklet. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. been in a sermon series about what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ and what does that look like. And when we began this series, we talked about that the local body, this particular place and gathering of people, is ordained by Christ, that he is the one that has called it forth to be. And so for us to be part of a local church is actually part of us being in Christ and following after him. And then the week after that, we talked about what are some of the essentials for us to be that local body and, and what are some of the, the privileges and the benefits of being that local body. We talked about what it takes to be a participant in the body and to have our presence here that we should be gathering together, not just on Sunday morning, at our, uh, but at other times. And that we also are connected together and we receive comfort in that and courage and we begin to discover our call. Now, last week, we talked a lot about the one another's that are in Scripture that remind us about our connection and how we are to be towards one another and how it battles against the expressive and um, exclusive individualism, that idea of I am my own person, my own God. And the fact that Christ comes in and says, actually, we're all together, that I'm binding you deeply in the knowledge of my love in order for you to show forth how God created humanity to be for all time and all place. And we'll actually talk more about that next week. Now, many of you don't know this. Some of you do know that my youngest daughter, Rose, 
Well, on occasion, it used to be every week, but now it's just on occasion, she will say to me, I have a word that I want you to fit into the sermon. Now, this started because I was wanting her to actually pay attention while the sermon was going on. And I've had many strange words and unique words to be able to do that. But as she's gotten a little older and has found that I'm much more enjoyable to listen to from up here, I guess, uh, she has stopped asking that question or saying, I've got a word for you to put in. But this week, she said, I've got a word for you to put into the sermon. And I said, great, that's not a problem at all. And she said, I want you to say uh, the word 10. Will that be hard? And I said, not at all. <laughs> I can say 10. And she goes, oh, okay. Well, can you say it three times? Will that be hard? And I said, no, <laughs> not at all. Because we're talking about tithing and gospel giving this week. It's part of that idea of presence and participation, those expectations that are required of us as those who are part of the body of Christ. Now, it's also a place where uh, I am somewhat uncomfortable. I told our leadership council and some other folks that it's kind of like wearing a shirt that's too tight for me. You just aren't quite feeling good. I put on my most baggy shirt today just to remind myself to give myself a little bit of comfort in that. I don't like talking about money. I don't enjoy doing that. It's one of the few things that I sort of say, I'll, I'll preach on that someday. But today, uh, we're going to delve into this, not really because I want to, but because as we talk about what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ, it is an expectation for us who are in Christ to be giving. And so I want to give you some background to that as well. So 10, or 10%. Or that idea of first fruits. It's something that is found all throughout Scripture and in particularly in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. It's something that God ordained and put in place as he began to gather his people together and say, I want to be your God and you will be my people. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 reminds us of this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops being the very first thing. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats to the brim over with new wine. This idea that you take the very first part of your income, the very first part of your harvest, the very first thing that you're setting it apart for God. You're saying this is important, so it needs my very first, not my leftover. Deuteronomy, we see a couple of different places, and I'm going to read those to you. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29 says this. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wines and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord, your God, at the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Now notice there, he's tying that giving of the 10%, and in this place he's saying, I want you to eat it. You're gonna to get to enjoy it, but you're doing it at a place that I'm gonna ordain for you, that I'm gonna show forth for you, and you're doing it so that you will learn to honor 
God and revere him and trust him. But if that place is too distant for you, he says, and you have been, um, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord has chosen to put his name is too far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take that silver with you and go to the place that I have called and chosen and use your silver to buy whatever you need, cattle, sheep, wine, fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat that in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. So he's giving options here. He's saying it's so important that I'm gonna allow you to do this in a couple of different ways. If it's too far away or if you just have too much of a 10%, I want you to sell it, get the silver, and then go buy new so that you can participate in that. And then he says this, and do not neglect the Levites, the priests to set aside living in your town, for they are not have no allotment or inheritance of their own. See, the, the Levites were a special set-aside people within the people of God. And in that place, they weren't able to produce fruits or, or have um, livestock, and, and they weren't able to glean those things. So they, they were needing to rest upon the others to bring them their 10%. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 12 says the same thing for us. It says, when you've entered into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you've taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord has given to you and put them in a basket and then go to the place that the Lord has chosen as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest of the office, I declare today that the Lord your God that I have come to the land of the Lord sworn to our ancestors to give us and the priest shall take your basket from your hand and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God and then you shall declare before the Lord my father was a wanderer and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord and the, and God, and the God of our ancestors, the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. And so the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terrors and signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place and gave us this land a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of this soil. Lord, the Lord has given to me. Then, he says, you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. And when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce for the third year and a year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. And then in Malachi, we see this. Malachi 3, 6 through 18. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of our ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will we, will we mere mortals rob God? God says, you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings 
meaning they had stopped giving those tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, oftentimes, these passages in particular, Malachi will be used in a way to say, if you do this, then God's going to bless you in the same way. That's not at all what he's saying there. It is somewhat what he's saying there. <laughs> but it's not completely the whole picture because we recognize that this is pre-Christ before what Jesus is about to do. That there's a coming that is happening in Christ that's going to release the truest blessing, the truth blessing that we all long for, which is to move from death into life, from captivity into freedom, from being a, an orphan to being adopted, from having no God to having a God that desires for us to be his people. But at the same time, there's a place of aligning our heart. You see that as God is prescribing these things throughout the Hebrew Bible, even as they are a prescribed act saying to his people, you need to do this. In fact, you must do it. And when you're not, you're robbing from me. It is a working to position the people of Israel's hearts, and so our hearts as well, to trust God with everything that we need. To trust him with our provision. That he will not forsake us. And he will provide for us. And even more than that, it's going beyond just providing for our needs and our provision. It is in giving of the tithe and the first fruits that we see God providing resources for his work to be done for his glory. That's the beautiful thing in that Deuteronomy passage is people get to take care of going to God and saying, we trust that you have us. And more than that, we trust that you have everyone else through us. And so we're going to provide for those who have not. We're going to provide for the foreigners. We're going to provide for the widows. We're going to provide for those who do not have. And so what we see in the Hebrew Bible is this principle that is laid out over and over again, a setting aside a percentage of our income, 10%, a tithe, and taking it from the very beginning of what we do, the very beginning of our earning. But even for Israel, and so it is for us, it is difficult for us to step into this place. And Malachi, he says, you're not doing this. And for us, we struggle with moving into that direction of how do we do this? I think one area that is a struggle for us is we have a mindset or an attitude of wants or scarcity. There's a place where we look at our lives and how we are living and we think, if I give a 10%, if I take the first fruits, I might not have enough for the rest of the week the rest of the month, the rest of the year, or into my retirement. We live in a place where we're thinking, oh, I, I just don't trust or believe that it's going to be complete for me and provided. 
Yo Frank, which is not his real name. He's got another name, but that's the name of the book that he's written called The Barefoot Disciple. The Barefoot Disciple shows eight principles about how Christians should be living with their money. And we actually might have him come and do a seminar for us here at some point. One of his first steps is to live minimally. His second step is to give, to step in line. I would switch those maybe. But in this book, he says, living on minimum is one way to break the grip of greed, but it's not enough, especially as some people are natural servers or savers. Giving begins to break that grip of greed. Now hear me. Greed is more than just a desire for more. It is definitely that. But greed is also a belief that you do not have enough. A heart that is bent towards scarcity is a heart of greed. It's saying, I just don't have enough to do the things that I believe I'm supposed to do. And so I need to have more in order to do that. Another reason why we might struggle with this idea of 10% or giving in this way is because we see it as a prescription, a duty, or a, 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 a got to. That it's a ticking of the box. And so I just need to give something, and then I've got this covered. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus encounters this story. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus is sat down opposite of the place where offerings were put, and there's watching a crowd put their money into a temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow comes and she puts in two very small copper coins, only worth a few cents. Calling to his disciples, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, we could hear that and, and say, oh, what Jesus wants us to do is give everything. And, and there's a place where, hey, guys, Jesus wants all of your life. Remember in Colossians, as we've been going through that book, uh, Paul says, Jesus, when he appears, who is your life? I was hoping for somebody to say life with me there. Because I think I've said this like every week for the last four weeks. When Jesus, who is your life, life right? When he comes, we will know him. Why? Because all of our life is resting in him and who he is. So yes, there's a sense that that's present there. However, what he's really dealing with here is this idea of duty or got to. That there's a place where, where these wealthy people look as if they are being generous. However, they are just doing the bare minimum of ticking a box to accomplish what they believe God has set forth for them to do in principle. But it's what, when Christ comes that we begin to move and have a deeper understanding. Why is that? 
Well, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all these principles. See, every principle and law, every prophet in the, in the Hebrew Bible is fulfilled in Christ and in his coming. And so Christ can come and he can look at the heart of the matter. That place that was failing the Israelite nation in Malachi when the prophet says, you're robbing God. He comes and he says, it's about the principle of generosity, of knowing who you are in Christ and knowing what God has done and provided for you, which enables you then to walk in a place of giving freely, not out of compulsion, which we'll look at here in a second. And so what does this principle of generosity look like? There's two great things that are happening in the church of Corinth, and, and we see in chapter 8 and we see in chapter 9, Paul dives into this place about giving. In chapter 8, just the chapter before the chapter that we're really looking at today, and we will get there, 1 through 15 tells us this great thing that had happened among those people. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For they testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, because our life is in Christ. And then by the will of God, also to us. So they urged Titus, just as he has earlier made at the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, he's talking to the church in Corinth here, which he's been getting on to over and over and over again. He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you excel in the grace of giving. He goes on to let them know that while they are giving, it gives the opportunity for people in order to see God working. And it allows them to be ready to give when they have much and receive when they have little. In the passage that we're preaching from today and looking at, Paul digs deeper into this idea. He's saying, look, you must sow, if you sow sparingly, if your heart is one that is worried about scarcity, if your heart is one who thinks you don't have enough, then you will never step into the place of generosity. Because if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. Receiving the benefit. Uh, does that mean a blessing coming your way? No, it means that you actually get to see the work being done. The harvest is not yours. The harvest is not yours or mine. The harvest is God's. The reaping is of the work that he will do through us and in us. God is able to bless us abundantly, he says. But notice he doesn't want you to give out of reluctance or compulsion. The desire is for you to give generously and cheerfully. 
that it should be great joy when you give. And so as you walk in a place of duty or got to, it's very difficult for that to be a place of joy. It's only as we walk into a place of abundance and devotion and I get to that we're able to give in a place where our heart sings when we recognize our investing in the kingdom of God. Now there's a place here that Paul says you should determine what you're going to give. And that's a great question of conscience. Giving each one of us the ability to walk into that place of generosity and say, what is it between God and I that we're going to determine looks best for my heart? I would encourage you in this way, though. It would be difficult for us to know and understand why God would choose a principle that's fulfilled in Christ of 10% and say, you should give less than that as you determine what it is. The principle didn't go away. It was fulfilled in Christ. However, as you are working to give, it should at least be a goal to get to. It's this idea of kingdom investing in knowing that where my heart is, where my treasure is, there is also my heart, as Matthew 6, 19 through 21 reminds us. It's a place of going, the principle of generosity is that I sow into the places that God is working in order to accomplish his mission and his good because my mission, as I am built into Christ in his community, should align with his mission. And it's not just about the money. If it's your whole life, it's about every area of your life. Your talent and your time. The way that God has particularly and uniquely designed you to be. The gifts that he has given you for service. And is it only within the local church that this should be expressed? By no means. Because the kingdom of God is global and expansive. And there are places where you need to be operating your giftedness and who you are and the blessings that you have both spiritually and physically and financially to enable ministries and God's kingdom to expand throughout the world. However, if you are called to this place and this is your body, my encouragement to you, and I recognize it can seem somewhat selfish, is that you look and say, what kingdom investment am I making here? Maybe you're at a place because you're not living minimally, or you're living as minimally as you can, that you cannot give. Hear me. God's graciousness and goodness surpasses his principle because it has been fulfilled in Christ. But as Jesus says, where my money goes, my heart follows. So recognize that if it's only, and it's never only, two cents, 
if it is given in generosity and a heart that is, this is for God and I get to do this. Not I have to do this. Not I got to do this. Then God sees that and blesses it and allows you to be blessed in the moment and beyond of that giving. But some of us, some of us really need to give more. Some of us need to look at the way that we're giving and say, at this time, at this moment, I need to change the way that I'm giving. I'm giving to too many things, and I need to focus on a few. Why? So that I can make some kingdom impacts in that money that I'm giving. So in the time and the talent that I have, I can make some kingdom impact in that place. I would encourage you to consider what level of giving am I giving and where is it going? With God, work through that and determine how do I get to 10%? How do I get beyond that? I might not ever be able to get to 10%, so how do I check my heart in that? How do I check my heart when I give 30%? Because I'm getting really arrogant about it. Right? I get in 30%. Nobody else is pulling their weights. You're missing the point. You're like the rich man who just throws it in and takes the box. It's so difficult. But the world is the world. And it requires investment. And so, there's principle that's built on the prescription that's fulfilled in Christ. And yet, where does our energy spring from for this? How is our focus to engage our lives of gospel giving? Where does it come? Well, thank you, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, bringing us God's words. Because in verse 15, he lets us know Thanks be to God for his indescribable gifts. We give generously because we are empowered by the one who gave it all. So much that it's indescribable. Almost ununderstandable. And yet we stand in this place today and receive it. We receive it and take it in and look for the place that we can cheerfully give it back. Let's pray. God, if there is anything that is not from you today, if it's not from you, let it burn up and go away. If there is anything that is from you today, we ask that it take root in our hearts and it bring your good work. I'm just a man, and so I can mess up. We ask that you receive glory and honor and that we will be challenged, that we will be comforted, that we will be encouraged in walking 
with all of our lives towards your generous, undescribable gift. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.